Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. And my parents are here this morning. I'm just so grateful to have been a part of this church. Like we were, I was five when we moved here from Lancaster. Maybe, maybe dad will tell you some of this a little bit today. Maybe some old stories. I didn't see any in your notes, but give us one or two. Uh, we moved out here when I was five, 1992, uh, from Lancaster County. And uh, dad tells the story all the time that I was very concerned about moving away from my friends, right, as a five-year-old would be. And he talks about how it broke his heart. He was very scared that he was making the wrong decision and all of that. But uh, let me tell you what, this church has been my family for 30 years. I mean, you've been there through thick and thin, through every baby dedication and baby shower. And then we, I mean, Aaron and I got married on this stage. It's been a lifetime of this church being my family. And I'm just so grateful to have been a part of it. So grateful to now get to raise my kids in it, who absolutely love it and adore you all as well. And so, amen. Yeah so grateful to have been a part of it and I just none of it would be possible without my parents pastor Jerry and Julie are here with us today he's gonna speak to us all this morning in honor of it being the 30th birthday but I just want to honor them thank you for that lifetime of faith and so many of you yeah give it up for him we're gonna clap again in a minute but so many lives changed through this house I mean, so many. Like, I can think of a dozen churches in the area that have Freedom Valley people, not just in them, but leading them. It's a, a legacy of faith that if he hadn't been called here to Gettysburg, where would most of us be, you know? It's an absolutely amazing thing. So can we welcome, can we give a good, big 30-year anniversary welcome to our founding pastor, Jerry Saltzfus. a lot. can't even tell you how much it means. It means a lot. Mm-hmm. We, moved, we moved into the house we live in today 30 years ago. And Candace was running around the moving truck. Do you ha- happen to remember this, Candace? I was unloading it from that truck she came over and she said she said dad will I ever see my friends again <laughs> they messed me up worse than now I had such a hard time functioning after that because I suddenly became aware of the risk that I'd put my family through and the cost of moving away from home and uh, starting a brand new venture and not knowing if it, if it could succeed. And I looked at her and I said, absolutely. Seriously? No, I think. That gave me a little time to recover. Sorry about that. Um, 
And then, sorry about this. And then we prayed as a family that day. You remember that prayer? I gathered my family together and I said, God, we need new friends. And I think that day or the day after, very soon after that, there were some friends across the fence in our backyard that uh, became part of our lives and are still really, really powerful how God intervened on the spot for us. And I appreciate that so much. God's been so good to us all of these years. So, so good. And uh, can I leave that subject alone for a minute? Let me see if I can do some jokes. I did jokes here every week for 4,000 years. A preacher wound up services one morning by saying, Next Sunday, I'm going to preach on the subject of lying. And to get you all ready for it, I want you all to read Mark 17. So the next Sunday rolled around and he said, okay, how many of you have read Mark 17? And almost every hand in the building went up. He said, that's who I want to talk to. There is no Mark 17. That's wrong, isn't it? That's a trap. I would never trap you like that. <laughs> um, a new believer was reading scripture. I, I've done this one here before. So those of you who have been around a while, you'll remember this one. His buddy says, what are you reading? He says, I'm reading about the smallest man in the Bible. I found Nehemiah. Oh, his buddy said, wait till you find Bildad the Shuhite. So, <laughs> just one more. Just what can I do? One more. I haven't done jokes here in a while, so I got to catch up. I saw a woman outside the mall crying. Ask her why. She said, I just lost $250. I felt so bad for her, I gave her 40 bucks out of the 250 I just found. <laughs> That's wrong. That is wrong. That is so wrong. I like those, though. I got that last one from a men's retreat I did this weekend in um, Stroudsburg. Wherever Stroudsburg is, that's where I was. Well, I'm very happy to be part of Pastor Candace and Pastor Aaron's sabbatical starting today. I really love that you all so graciously uh, give that to them. Really, really important. Uh, Pastor has a unusual and strange challenge to figure out how to survive through the years with Satan's attacks coming at you from everywhere and sabbatical often helps with that process enormously and I pray that it helps with uh, Pastor Candace and Pastor Aaron's process in figuring out how to sustain and find the heart of God for the years to come around here very excited about that I heard her say last week I plan to be here for a long time that made my day that's, I don't remember what else she preached, but I remember that. I'm excited about that. So every church in the world has at least three needs. I'm going to talk to you about those this morning. Three gaps in every church system where Jesus talked about what is missing, what is not enough of in every church. Okay? What he's looking for in his kingdom. And I love this passage. So much this is not new for you. This is something that those of you who've been around have heard me uh, preach from this passage before because I think, I believe so passionately in what this passage teaches and how to live it. And uh, so I want to uh, sh share it with you this morning and all of you who I'm just meeting for today get to catch up with the rest of us in one fell swoop. Uh, with this word. I argued with the Holy Spirit about this. I said, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to preach 
at Freedom Valley, and he told me, I was like, <laughs> do I have to? And he said, well, are you asking or telling? I'm asking, then do what I tell you. And uh, so that's where I'm going today. I want to, I'm excited about it, but I, I felt like I wanted to preach something new. You know, I, I know that after my traffic accident, I really struggled for those uh, five years after that. I, I was preaching here for a couple of years, and I, I thought I was doing well, but every week got worse and tougher, and many of you were noticing. And uh, it was a tremendous struggle, uh, especially to preach something new during that time. I, I couldn't. So when I when the Holy Spirit wanted me to go back this morning to something that I've covered here before, I really argued with it. It was like, come on. Yeah, and he and he allowed me to at least change the nomenclature a little bit. So that's what I'm doing today in uh, teaching this particular passage. This is not just about Freedom Valley, but about every church. Every church shows with three things, three gaps in their existence that are really strong and that um, the Holy Spirit instructed us to pray for through Jesus. Luke 10, verse 1. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. You know Jesus, I know most of you do. You find it hard to square this passage with the rest of his character. But he's teaching leaders here on how to be influential. How to make the world a dramatically better place. And what he teaches is sometimes uh, it, it's counter, it's different from what we think he's going to teach. Like that last one, for example, don't stop to greet anybody. Jesus, you have a problem with me saying hi to people? How, what is that? I, and I was asking this question when the Holy Spirit started teaching me about the power of focus. That's what that one is about. About the power of focus. How to be somebody who can actually accomplish what the Holy Spirit set you to do. But I want to go near to the beginning of this passage for what the Holy Spirit is putting in my heart today where he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And the first gap that I want to talk about in every church life is a productivity gap. Productivity gap. What I mean by this is when Jesus says the workers are few, he says, you know, uh, Pareto proved this in his principle, I don't know, 50 years ago, where he said uh, uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the work in every organization on earth. Doesn't seem right. How, how does that work? What Pareto didn't mention is gold for every church. What Pareto needed to mention was that the, whenever church works on the 20%, the 80% grows around it. Does that make sense? So the productivity gap is that every church has to find a way to involve people in ministry. The Bible talks about five kinds of preachers. You know this? The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. It says their job is to do the work of the ministry. Right? Wrong. Not what it says their job is. It says their job is to empower people to do the work of the ministry. So, Candace said a little bit ago, I want you all to minister to each other while I'm gone. And I believe that one of the powers of strategic absence for when a senior pastor steps out for a little bit, is people start realizing how dependent you became on her in some way or on them, and how it's your job to minister to each other. In this kingdom, everybody has a role. 
Everybody has a vital purpose and something that they're called to do. There's a productivity for you in the kingdom. I read somewhere, I just read this week. Somebody said, a researcher said, we started asking people who used to go to church who don't anymore, why? Why don't you? What happened? And the, 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 the biggest answer that came back to them was, we don't think church needs us. That is so not true. That is so not true. Your church needs you, needs your skills and your gifts in the area that you love to give. The, the, the spiritual gifts in the Bible are there to help you to see that there are different kinds of giving. And every gift has a role. And when you're operating in your role, when you're operating in the thing God called you to do, you're incredibly productive. And it's so easy, you, you feel like you're playing. Not kidding. Like, for example, I discovered years ago that I have the gift of mercy. And I always use this as an example because it, it's, it's a, it's not one of the top five gifts. It's not one of the interesting gifts. But I discovered I had the gift of mercy because my uncle, who was a deacon, every time he would uh, bring forth the word, he, uh, he was an Amishman, so the, the deacon always did devotions for church on Sunday morning. And uh, every time he would speak for his 15 or 20 minutes, he would cry. And, and we would mock, my siblings and I, like, what is his problem? Why does he have to cry every time? I didn't realize two years later that he had the gift of mercy and that I had it too. That was tragic to me. I was like, God, I don't want that gift. I want to cry when I'm preaching. I want to preach. I messed that up this morning. I apologize. You all messed me up by talking birthday crap. Uh, But he, he would cry, and, and I realized that I had the gift of mercy as well. I discovered that uh, when you cry with somebody who's really deeply hurting, it unlocks their ability to express emotion themselves on any level. Sometimes as much as crying. And they will often tell me, I've never cried before. I haven't cried for 20 years. I haven't cried for a long time. Reminds me of my dad. I I came out of the house one day at lunch, and he was fueling up an old Amish tractor. And I all of a sudden noticed he turned his back toward me. Like, Dad, what is going on? He said, I just found out today that my next-door neighbor died of a heart attack. Just in his 40s, just a young man. Oh, he said, that's so sad. He told me the guy's name I said, that is so sad. I hope he knew Jesus. And my dad said he didn't. Last time I talked to him about Jesus, he cursed me. Told me I could take my stupid God to hell with me, he said. Then my dad broke down. Cried like a baby. And what God did in that moment through my dad's gift of mercy was he transferred to me a passion for lost people. And I saw him cry over a neighbor that didn't know Jesus and gripped my soul. I've never stopped trying to connect with lost people and bring them into the kingdom because of that. I'll think of my dad crying that day. Only time I ever remember my dad crying. I know he cried when my mom died, but I don't, I don't think I saw it. But he cried that day. And, um, I, I suddenly felt how valuable the gift of mercy is because he transferred to me that day a passion for lost people. And that's just one example. When, you become productive in the kingdom doing the thing that your spiritual gift, that God implanted a spiritual gift in you for. You become strong and 
you do, you do the work that you do almost without thinking about it. You can't help it. I partnered here for a long time with Marvin Stanley. Those of you who were standing at the five year, 10 year, 15 year, 30 billion years know Marvin Stanley well. Uh, Marvin had the gift of administration. I'm always amazed that he and I could get along because his gift of administration was so different. I was a, a flighty dreamer. <laughs> uh, and Marvin would say to me sometimes when we got a little better at understanding how the gifts work together, he would say, you dream of something and let me figure out how to plan it. Plan it? Plan it? What do you mean? You're going to plan my dreams? Yes. You're not very good at it. I know. I just sort of show up and hope it falls together. Well, I can't let you do that anymore. I want to, I want to organize your stuff for you. So his gift of administration made me crazy, but he helped me so much, helped this church so much in that process because I could partner with somebody who had a very diff different gift from mine. And he would say, listen, I dream all the time of how to put stuff together, how to organize it. Like we need six of these and four of those and two of these. And I'd be like, don't, don't you bother me with those numbers. Martin. <laughs> My head doesn't go there. I want to dream of the idea. That's it. And Marvin operating in his gift and me operating in my gift work together incredibly well. When you find your spiritual gift, when you start operating in the thing that God made you to do, you will operate at a premium level without even thinking about it. You show up saying, somebody lets me be at the front doors and welcome people in. That's because you have that gift, the gift of hospitality. It's an incredible gift. I don't have that one either. <laughs> but I really like people that do. I like when there's people at the door welcoming other people in and, and loving on them on the way in. That's the gift of hospitality happening. And all of those spiritual gifts have an incredible value. So the researchers said that people who used to go to church and don't anymore often say, well, the church didn't need me. Because the temptation is to say to people who are new, I can do that. Sit down. I got it. Don't, don't worry about it. I, I, I'll take care of you. But certain people come through that door, want to be involved. Man. And this morning, I, I was at Life Discovery Church where I'm pastoring now. I was there at 630. And um, about 8 o'clock, the door opened and a brand new family came in. Never saw them before. And I was like, wow, you guys are here early. You're here for, a, we call it a pre-meeting. You call it a huddle. You're here for a pre-meeting. That's amazing. So during the pre-meeting, I kept asking for, I need somebody to do this and somebody to do this. Uh, any volunteers? She was volunteering for all of them. All of them. I was like, lady, you can't do it all. She, and she, she said back to me, I just want to be involved. First day at Life Discovery Church, first day. Reminded me of a, of a I had a, a Wednesday experience here years ago where I was setting up for a Wednesday night, I think I was doing a men's meeting that night, and I was setting up chairs in here. These chairs, at least in those days, got moved three times a day, and so that day I was setting them up for a meeting. And... Um, this couple came through the back door on a Saturday night at 6.30. The meeting didn't start till 7. I'm like, wow, hi, and you're really early. Nice to have you here. And they said, can we help with something? I'm like, nah, I got it. Don't worry about it. You just sit out there on the couches and relax for a minute. And the Holy Spirit said, are you serious? What is your problem? Repent right now. And I did. Went back to, to the gentleman and I said, sir, I'm sorry. Yeah, I could use your help. If you don't mind helping, I could help. You could help me move some chairs. He was here for years after that. 
That was his first week. And I believe the Holy Spirit connected him through he found a way to give. Got his kids involved, everybody involved. That's the productivity gap. When uh, Omar, my my the senior pastor that I worked for for years, said there's a magic pronoun principle. The magic pronoun is that when somebody comes to a church, they talk about that church or Candace's church or Aaron's church or Chris's church. It's, it's always second person removed, at least. Until the first day, you get them to help you move chairs or, I don't know, pick up trash off the floor or usher or something. And that day, the pronoun magically changes. Nobody told them to. Nobody asked them to. But from that day on, they start saying, my church, our church, where I meet God, what changed? And Omar, the senior pastor that trained me, said it's the magic pronoun principle. When somebody gets involved, everything changes about how they feel about what they've just been involved in. So the first gap that every church has is a productivity gap. Everybody needs to be involved somewhere. Everybody. And for the next 30 years at Freedom Valley, I want to install that in your spirit. You find a way to get involved here. Oh, listen, everybody can get involved. Some of you are saying, but I don't know. How would you use my gift? My mama said to me, she was going down her last three months maybe. She said, I'm about to be confined to this bed. What am I going to do that's productive now? What can I do to contribute? And I said, Mom, you can do the most powerful thing of all. And she said it with me. I can pray. Pray. The night she died, my wife rolled over in bed, poked me, and she said, Something just happened. I think your mama just died. How do you know? What what makes you think that? She said, I could feel the prayers stop. Sure enough. Half an hour later, my brother called and said, Mama just went to be with Jesus. She found a way to be productive all those years. No exceptions. And the point I'm mentioning is I want to mention prayer because everybody can pray. In fact, the next thing he says here, where he, he talks about the communication gaps. He says, these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord, by the way. Pray to the Lord, because a lot of us talk easily to everybody else. <laughs> we, You know, something comes up, and, and we're like chatting with our next-door neighbor about it. Can't believe what Biden's doing to the economy. Don't look at me like that. I know you thought that. I can't believe how bad our world is getting. It's violent and it's wrong. And we talk to everybody else. I'm sorry, I need a tissue. Way too much crying. Thank you. We talk to everybody else and... I'm not saying there's something wrong with talking to everybody else. What I'm saying is that you got to talk to God primarily. And this is a hard lesson to learn sometimes. We, it, it's so automatic for us to talk to our husband or wife first or to our children or to the lady we have coffee with in the morning or something. We talk to everybody else. And I, I love this story. I'm sorry if I, if I told you this story before, but so years ago, um, I was having some problem at Freedom Valley Church. I don't know what it was. I have no idea, but it was really messing me up. 
And I called my older brother, and my older brother's been a pastor and is still just a kind supporter and giver to me and just a blessing. And uh, I called him and I said, George, I got to talk to you about this problem. Something's wrong. And I went on. I was laying it out, man. I was giving it everything. And all of a sudden I noticed I'm talking and he's listening, but he's not saying anything. And about half ticked me off. I finally stopped and I said, why aren't you talking to me? Why am I doing all the talking? I mean, I got a problem, but you didn't even say I hear you or yes or anything. He said, I don't know. The Holy Spirit stopped talking to me. That really ticked me off. Like, why would he stop talking to you? I called you to get, to get advice from God. Oh, I said, did you pray about this? No. I, I meant to. But you didn't, did you? No, I didn't. Now he's screaming at me. Don't you ever do that to me again. Don't you ever make me your God. Don't you ever call me first. Never, never again. Don't you ever do that. Hey, all right, all right, all right. I hear you. I hear you. I'll never do it again. To this day, I was, every time I call him, <laughs> which is pretty frequently these days, I always ask myself, did you pray about this? Because <laughs> it would be dangerous not to. You're going to tick him off again. I don't want to ever tick him off again. But he, he made, he made the point for me that I had, I had gotten accustomed and I have a habit of talking to other people before I talk to God. Here Jesus says, pray to the Lord. Because we talk to everybody else, talk to God. Talk to him. Ask him to give you wisdom, maybe even through your brother when you call him. <laughs> Ask him to help you through something or somebody. And then go about your life knowing that he will. Because you ask. That's so valuable. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. So the, the second gap, the first gap is a productivity gap. Not many of us are productive in the kingdom. Secondly, we have a communications gap, which we talk, but we talk to the wrong people. And because we talk to the wrong people, we're not getting the help that we wanted. Now, my brother could have made something up. But all of a sudden, he realized the Holy Spirit stopped talking. Because the Holy Spirit said, why didn't Jerry talk to me? Why? Why wouldn't he? What? What, he doesn't trust me? He doesn't believe I can help? What's wrong with him? I don't think the Holy Spirit was asking me, asking what's wrong with me, because he already knew. But the point is, we have a communication gap. The third thing that I, the third gap that every church has is we have the wrong question gap. That is, we're asking God, but we don't realize we've forgotten that Jesus has a prayer request. I love that I get to pray over my people every week. It is a privilege. I take it seriously. And every week after church, I get a list of all the prayer requests that were put down. I love praying over those requests. Because it helps me know where people are at. It helps me know what they're up against. It helps me know what miracles we're looking for this week. It just helps me in a lot of ways. And I love, I love to do that. But Jesus, if he would visit this church this morning, and let's, I believe he is. He has a prayer request that he would put on the list for you and say, I want everybody to pray this. Everybody. Pray that the Lord would send productive people. See, in every church's life, there's a certain amount of people who only want what the church can give them. That's not productive. God called every single person to be productive somewhere at something. I believe that's why he called us to tithe. Oh, I think, man... I love the principle of tithing so much because tithing sets you free. 
You know, you can enter into a contract with God where God promises you from that day forward, you will never be in want again. I, that, that blows me away. The idea that God wants to partner with me and he promised me that I would never be in want again. I remember struggling with this. I just left the Amish church and was attending a church like this and, and, um, I was maybe 17 years old. And somewhere or another, the Holy Spirit challenged me. It could have been the sermon challenged me about tithing. And I was like, God, if I give the last four dollars in my pocket, I got no money for lunch. Those were the days you could buy lunch for four dollars. Don't look at me like that. It was been a while ago. I wasn't 17 recently. But if I give these last four dollars in my pocket, I don't have anything to buy lunch. And the Holy Spirit said, would you trust me with this already? I'm like, well, I can go hungry today. <laughs> like that would kill you. Trust me. Fine. I reach in my pocket and I get out the four dollars. I put it in the offering plate when it goes by. And I'm like, God, I'm living dangerously because I don't know if I'm going to eat today. I wasn't, church wasn't over for two minutes till somebody came over and said, Hey, Jerry, let's go to lunch today. I'm buying. Really? That's pretty cool. That's really cool. And, and, and the Holy Spirit just said, I told you, I told you, trust me. Just trust me. Oh, I love to share this principle. Listen, I was teaching this in Africa a month ago. I was in uh, Malawi for the first time. And I was having lunch with the pastors, and uh, one, of the, one of the pastors said to me, how will Malawi ever break its poverty cycle? How? We are, we're in such abject poverty. The nation's only been organized since, I think he said, 1960. And we've been in poverty ever since. He said, look at these people around here. Most of them live off of $300 a year at about the same cost of living as you have. Do you feel that for a minute? And I heard myself say, well, I don't know. Except I know this, that if you partner with God, God will take care of all your needs. That is a promise. You can absolutely commit your life to that. And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? I said, I mean tithing, you're a pastor. He said, I, I got to be honest with you, I don't know about tithing. He says, I, I've been pastoring for a while, but I don't even own a Bible. What? Discovered that the reason that none of them had brought Bibles to the meeting was because they didn't own any. There were a couple of Bibles, but they usually came with my interpreter would bring a Bible. <sighs> well, no wonder you don't know about tithing. You don't even have a Bible to preach from. That's incredible. I bought. I, I told them I'd buy them 10 Bibles by the end of that service. And the Holy Spirit said, you can do better than that. I said, uh, fine, I'll buy you 20 Bibles. The Holy Spirit said, come on now. I ended up buying 40. And I put it on Facebook and my church people started kicking in, are still kicking in. I just sent another 200, the second or third 200 to buy more Bibles. I think everybody should have a Bible. So I taught them about tithing. Isn't that awesome? So the Holy Spirit changed my message for the, my last session. And all of my sessions were an hour and a half long. Can you imagine me preaching for an hour and a half? It'll turn you Catholic. Uh, I mean, uh, but my sessions were an hour and a half long. So the last one I dedicated to tithing, I spent the whole session on tithing and the Holy Spirit filled my mouth and it was really good. <laughs> I wish I could play it for you. <laughs> it was, it was good. And, uh, as I was preaching three or four, there was probably 600 maybe or so pastors in the room and several of them were weeping. 
said afterward to one of them, why the weeping? He said, we've never heard this. We didn't know. We didn't know. We were giving, but we weren't tithing. And we can't wait to partner with God because he promised he would meet our needs. Oh, man, the principle will set you free. It will empower your life. It will bless you incredibly when you have God as a partner. And he promised to meet all your needs. He promised to have abundance. Thank you. This is, was it getting dry? He, he promised to meet all your needs. So that's a great question. But Jesus said, pray with me that I would send forth laborers, workers, people who are productive into the harvest field. That's his prayer request. Because think about it. If your car breaks down, what you need is somebody to work on it. Your house needs repair. What you need is somebody to work on it. And the money to pay them. Everything in life requires you to, to, everything requires a worker. Everything. And when you pray for workers into the harvest field, you're praying a blessing on your church. That God would bless you with gifts. That God would bless you with abilities. That God would bless you with Ideas that you never had before because you didn't have that person. It's powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. So Jesus said, your central prayer ought to always be, God, send us more workers. More people willing to move chairs. <laughs> more people willing to uh, share their faith. More people willing to tithe. More people willing to uh, serve each other. More people willing to use their spiritual gift in the way that is so Easy for them to do. It feels like they're playing. When I use my spiritual gifts, it feels like I'm playing. I'm having the most fun I can have in my life because it's my gift. It's the thing God made me to give. I love giving it. When you find your spiritual gift, it is a powerful thing to give you the ability to do life at a whole new level. So we're asking the wrong question many times when we do pray. So years and years ago, I was praying with my kids before bed. And I, I remember my son praying. And he prayed, God, I just want to have a good day tomorrow. And I thought, man, that is a shallow prayer, son. And the Holy Spirit said, that's the kind of prayer you pray to me all the time. Ouch. That hurt. He said, I'd love you to pray the prayer I'm asking you to pray. Really? What is that? Pray that I would send workers into the harvest field of your life. And they started coming as I prayed that prayer. They started coming from everywhere. People wanted to do things I didn't even know I needed done. They had to sell the job before they sold that they were the one from, to do the job for me. Because I was praying to the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers. That is a life-changing prayer. When you have a whole church full of people praying this prayer, something powerful happens in that church. People start coming from everywhere. And they don't just come to, to watch church. They're the ones in the pre-meeting saying, I'll do that. Sure, I can help with that. I'll help with that too. No problem, I got it. One after another. Because God wants to send you the people you need to do the work he's called them to do. This is so strong. This is so strong. God wants to change your life from the inside out by making you a worker. And by asking. Let me just say, let me say this. The Holy Spirit reminded me of this. I was just getting ready to close up. <laughs> I will in a minute. Trust me. But he said, you, when you're praying for workers, 
you can't help but become one. Follow that? You say, God, we really need somebody to, I don't know, power wash these sidewalks. I'm trying to think of some arcane thing. And he often says back, how about you? <laughs> First, how about you? You think you can run a power washer? I guess I can do that. Good. That's what I was hoping you'd say. You become a worker when you're praying for other workers. And you become the, the kind of worker that is doing the thing that you do the best at the highest level. And everybody else is filling in the things they do the best. And the whole thing grows powerfully because you are accomplishing the work that God built you for and caused you to be born for. Oh, that's so strong. That's so incredible. We need to be workers in the kingdom. Here's the way I want to close this. If, if you would say, I'll be a worker in the kingdom, and you're talking about something you're not doing now, God's calling you to do. Once again, he's whispering something he hasn't whispered to you in 20 years or, I don't know, five minutes. He hasn't whispered it in a while because you stopped listening and he quit talking. But he's talking to you again. And there's something that you have a passion to do in the kingdom. And that's, that's what you want to do more than anything. I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to that. Maybe the second kind of response I'd be looking for this morning is if you're ready to start praying this prayer with Jesus, send workers into the harvest field, Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity for that. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to move on us today. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to listen to you. Help us to let you work. And then I pray that, God, you would make us workers. That you would cause us to pray this powerful prayer that Jesus prayed. This world-changing thing. To be workers in your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I said two kinds of responses. If you, if you want to say, I'll be a worker in the kingdom in a way that you're not doing now. God's talking to you that way. I'm going to give you a chance to respond in just a minute. But secondly, if you would say, I will communicate with Jesus about what he wants me to pray about. I want to give you that opportunity as well. Now, the first one, how many of you would say, I will be a worker in the kingdom? God's speaking to you there. And you're, you're volunteering for something you're not doing now. You're saying, Jesus, I want to be involved. I want to do something I'm not doing now in your kingdom. Would you raise your hand? Anybody there? I see it down there, brother. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I got you. Anybody else? Got you back there. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all of these. You can put your hands down. Secondly, if you would say, I will communicate by praying the prayer Jesus asked me to pray. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to ask him to send workers into the harvest field of this church. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see hands all over the place. Father, thank you for doing this today. Thank you for transforming us today. Thank you for helping us to see how you work and what you want to do in us. And I'm asking you, Lord God, that the next 30 years of the Freedom Valley Church would be so much more powerful than the past have been. You've been so kind and so good. You have used this church in powerful ways already. But I'm asking you that the future, that under Candace and Aaron and this leadership team, you would move in ways more powerfully than we've even begun to ask or think your word talks about that let it be stronger let it be more let the abundance of the Holy Spirit fall on this house to provide for it in powerful ways to cause it to soar to new heights in Jesus 
cause it to change the world from the inside out. Thank you so much for that. The Holy Spirit's just reminding me here, there's one other kind of response I need to do. Maybe there's somebody here who says, I'm not where I want to be with Jesus. I need Jesus to come take over my life today. Maybe it's fresh and new. Maybe it's for the first time, but you want Jesus to take over your life today. Would you raise your hand? You want Jesus to forgive your sins, make you a new person? Thank you. God bless you. You want Jesus? Thank you, brother. God bless you. Anybody else? Thank you. I see one in the back there. God bless you. Anybody else? I want Jesus to transform my life. Make me a whole new creature. Give me hope and a passion and a future. Anybody else like that? All right. Thank you so much for that. I don't know if I saw them all, Candace, but uh, I'm going to turn this back over to you. Thanks, everybody, for letting me be here. Yeah, let's give them a hand. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you will shake their hands this morning, my parents and my grandparents. Thank them for being here. It has been so much fun celebrating with you all. Uh, If you made a decision to follow Jesus this morning, I saw six or so hands. If you made that decision today and it's something new or something you haven't done in a long time, text the number on the screen. If you're watching online this morning and you made that decision, type I'm in in the comments or text the number on the screen. We would love to help you with that decision and uh, give you some next steps. All right, let's stand. I would like to pray over you all, especially because I won't be here for the next couple of weeks. I want to bless you. So Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here in this house. God, I just pray for lots more of it. We would see so much life change because of you, that you would use our voice in this community, in this world, that, that we would be the vibrant, passionate, selfless church you've called us to be, and we would truly be able to change the world with a message of the gospel, the most powerful message on earth. Bless each and every person here. Bring out gifts and talents within them. Let us go out of these doors into our world today with a new mission in life to love other people, to see them know you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you all soon. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.